Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to save you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate, teach, and put a day like today into context. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Okay, listen to me. I don't want you to panic. Don't buy the prevailing narrative that things were looking up for the economy. Then suddenly we got some very negative data points that changed everything and made a recession a whole lot more likely. Sure, that may be the proximate cause of today's decline. Dow losing another 494 points. Uh, S&P plunging 1.79%. NASDAQ plummeting 1.56%. Sell, 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 sell. But the truth is a lot simpler. We were due for a sell-off. How do I know? Because that's what I've been telling you for weeks on end. See, a little less than a month ago, I told you about the most important indicator I follow, which is the S&P's short-range oscillator indicator. This is a tool I pay a lot of money for that tells you almost with uncanny accuracy when the market's overbought or oversold. Overbought meaning it's due for a pullback. Oversold means you got to start buying. When the oscillator's above five, it almost always means we've come too far too fast and you need to do some selling. Well, when it's well above five, you need to aggressively raise cash, as I told you. Last month, the oscillator went to eight, an extremely high reading that told you that we were due for a bruising. So I stuck with my discipline, and I told you there was too much enthusiasm for the market and said it was time to raise cash. That's exactly what we did for my charitable trust, which you can follow along by joining the ActionAlertsPlus.com club, where I said on a conference call, don't like it. At the time, I said to start selling, even though, you know what? I had no idea what might go wrong. I didn't know what might derail the stock market. I just knew that the oscillators almost never wrong. Honestly, I didn't want to get more negative. It was more muscle memory from the days when I was a hedge fund manager working with Karen Kramer, my now former wife, then known as the trading goddess. 
Karen didn't pretend to know the ways of the Fed or any of the economic mumbo-jumbo, the quarter point this, the half point that, or even who was in the lead in the presidential primaries. But she knew that you need to sell when that darn oscillator gets really high. I would be adamant that we own stocks of great companies we shouldn't be selling. She'd say, who cares if the companies are any good? It's irrelevant. The stocks suck. A word I can now use on air thanks to both Mark Zuckerberg and Senator Elizabeth Warren who used it yesterday, and the president, who said something a lot more scatological via tweet today. Karen would tell me that, at times, companies were completely divorced from the stocks underneath. Times like when the oscillator was extremely overbought. So my fundamental analysis meant absolutely nothing to her, and it had to be blocked. Now, on this side, I wouldn't budge. I'm a rational guy. I went to all sorts of good schools. I oscillator, for heaven's sake. I took economics with John Kenneth Galbraith at Harvard. I learned the hard way. We worked for Wall Street and intersected Water Street. One opposite day, she sent me out to get her a hot pretzel and a Diet Coke at the corner cart. When I came back, she'd sold almost everything we owned, including my precious longer-term investments. I was livid. She said, hey, if you don't like what I did, why don't you buy them back? But remember, the oscillator said I'm right. Well, I, I didn't have the confidence to buy them back. Good thing, huh? Good thing. Because then the market rolled over big time, just like it did over the last couple of days. That was the first time, but it wasn't the last time. Sometimes when the oscillator and the temperature outside were red hot, she made me go get her a water ice. Bam! I returned and the big positions were gone. Sometimes when I screwed up, she'd make me wear a post-it on my forehead with the symbol of the stock that I'd lost big money on. Then she'd have me walk all the way around the building. And when I came back, every trading position was off the sheets. The oscillator. Now, look, I thought it was absurd that some ridiculous technical tool was calling the shots here. I mean, that was supposed to be my job. But Karen, head trader, 50%, explained that, well, it's for the best. You needed to be objective. You needed to be clinical. You needed to check your motions at the door before you came and sat on the trading desk with her. She always had ice water in her veins. Why did I go along with all this? Because the oscillator turned out to be almost never wrong. It was empirical. Sure, there'd be the rare event where it would lead us astray. But the post-it, the pretzel, the water ice, always trump whatever my homework was telling me. Stocks had become divorced from the actual companies they were supposed to represent. I had to accept that. And I do. Now, Karen reiterated that advice at the beginning of last month when the oscillator hit eight. She was as unwavering now as she was 30 years ago. And once again, she was right. We didn't know why the market would get hit, but the oscillator predicted pain. For example, I had no idea this uh, Ukraine story would break and the Democrats would decide to go for impeachment. I didn't know the ISM purchasing manager index would plunge into recession territory, worst reading since 2009. I didn't know that GM workers would go on strike suddenly. I didn't know that rail car lo- uh, loadings would plummet. I didn't know that the president would press his bet in the trade war with China or with Europe, as he did tonight, after a big WTO ruling against Europe for unfair trading practices revolving around Airbus, tariffs that will include a 25% hike on French wine. Let him drink cabs. I didn't know that the Peloton deal would stink to high heaven or that the joint would also get almost torn down by the WeWork IPO. Yeah, pulled because of outrageous self-dealing, horrendous debt. That could have crushed us. But the only thing I knew was that the Patriots would be in first place thanks to the really easy schedule. So what do we do now? For now, we wait. After market becomes overbought, you wait until it gets oversold, then you pounce. But uh, you can pick at certain stocks on the way down. Like what? Oh, uh, the food stores, Karen would say. Everyone has to eat. I got one that's in the food aisles later on coming up in the show. 
These days, uh, what you think about is Walmart, Target. They're two of the largest grocers. Hey, don't forget Dollar Tree. Remember we were at that one? That's some nice grocery stuff. Good prices. Anything with a big yield can work as long as the dividend is safe. You know, you think about the Ventas, the, the Dominion. Don't forget. I mean, last night, kind of. Now, you can't pick at anything that's hated, though. If it's hated going in, it's going to be hated going out. I think the oils. And you can still sell here because we are still not yet near minus five. Get in there. But you sell only if you want to free up to buy something else. That's where we are in the equation. Now, as much as I didn't want to go negative when the oscillator hit plus eight, it's even harder to go positive when the market's cascading down. Everyone's talking about recession. Everybody's scared about impeachment oscillator. And worried that uh, Senator Warren's going to take this to Wall Streeters. I mean, they say, well, you do what she does. Anyway, that's precisely when you have to start to hold your nose and begin buying. No one ever wants to start buying now when things are at their ugliest. It's terrifying. Let me give you one more example. 21 years ago next week, I was nervous. I was worried. I was selling. Selling hard into a very oversold market, much more oversold than this. My hedge fund was down more than $100 million for the year. And, heck, you know, that was when $100 million was a lot of money. At the time, Karen hadn't been to work in ages. She was staying at home with the kids. But she came back one day, curious to see how the heck I could lose so much money. What the heck was I doing? She wanted to know why I was selling when the oscillator was giving us huge oversold reading. She sat down. Oh, she took out the catalogs. Always with the catalogs. Drove me to Land's End. And she told me to go get her some French fries, a lot of ketchup. By the time I came back, she put hundreds of millions of dollars to work. More than we had, more than we could borrow. I was horrified. She said if I, if I wanted to, I could sell everything. Everything she just bought. I didn't. The oscillator. At the end of the day, we learned that the Fed was holding an emergency meeting. The market exploded higher. Went up for the rest of the year. We made a big percentage of the money that we lost. And when the market closed, gathered their catalogs, including the Martha by mail. She loved that Martha by mail. She walked out. Gave you a wave. Nothing more. Never came back. Ever. Look, I don't know when this market's going to bottom. It's pretty darn ugly. I know she, she doesn't like it yet. But she still thinks uh, she likes to hear that recession talk. Likes the negativity. Reads my Twitter feed. Likes the hatred toward me, even as I'm pretty negative. Likes the fear instilled by so many hedge fund managers and commentators. Really likes it when the usual rich hedge fund managers come on our air and trash the market without revealing that they missed out the whole year. Yeah, they lost. Didn't get any of the gains. Bottom line, the oscillator still isn't down enough for me to turn positive. So find some stocks that can work in this environment and pick at them slowly. Beyond that, stay patient. Be optimistic for once. And recognize the sun does come out, although tomorrow, at least on Wall Street, it's supposed to rain. Keith, Keithan in Nebraska. Keithan. Yeah, go big red here from Nebraska. All right. Uh, my stock is AMT, American Tower Corporation. Uh, it's pulled back from $242 down to $220. Uh, believe in the CEO story, and it's got growth in the United States and worldwide. Uh, but is this another victim of the growth rotation and out of it? Yeah, but you know um, what? You know what, Keithan? Keithan, this is precisely the kind of stock you got to start picking. Is this stock ever cheap? No. Has this stock just come straight up? Yes. Now that it's coming down, do you say, ooh, it's scary? No. You start. You start because 5G, which the president, by the way, referred to today. 5G. He wasn't finished. And that's because they're making Nokia over there. Uh, and I think it's a good stock. You know, don't be aggressive. Let's go to Kent in Kansas. Kent. Yes, sir, Jim. Thank you for taking my call. And first of all, I'd like to thank you for being a lighthouse of sanity in this immense red sea of media insanity. 
Well, you I'm know, it, it is a kind of weird time, but thank you. It's a weird time, but it's not a, not a it's weird. That's all. What's up? Well, I'm almost 65. I'm healthy. I'm not dependent on my uh, portfolio, but I would like it to work as hard as I have to to um, keep it um, mm-hmm. earning money. My, uh, my holding is Blackstone, symbol BX. It's one of my major holdings. It's been a great uh, dividend uh, appreciation uh, stock up until the last week when I see that it's been a, uh, right. a favorite target of short sellers. Uh, I believe that uh, Stephen Schwarzman has been an impressive chairman, and uh, he's got great insight. He right. seems to be very bullish on the economy since right. uh, they're buying up more and more uh, holdings um, every day like a drunken sailor and um, no, no, they're not drunken sailor. I mean, it's Jonathan Gray in there. He's a CEO. He's a very smart fella. Very charitable, by the way. I like to point that out. So sportsman. And I think this yields four. Thank you, Stephanie Link, for telling me about this one 20 points ago. And I've tried to be as enthusiastic as she has. I still like it yielding four. If it comes down, I would buy more. That's what you're supposed to do. How painful is it to do that? It's pretty darn ugly. But I don't know when when it's going to bottom, but I say you do some picking, not aggressively. But at this point, if you do any selling, you should be putting it into other stocks and high-grade. Oscillator, rarely wrong. Man money tonight. Another tough drop on the average say. Are the capital markets losing the principal function? I'm offering my take. Then, from salt and pepper to more exotic flavors, you can likely find consumer giant McCormick in your kitchen cabinets. But is stock the secret ingredient for your portfolio? And uh, want a head start on Friday's jobs report? I've got one of the largest payroll players in the land. Don't miss my exclusive with the head honcho at Paychex. He may something, say something surprising, surprisingly positive. Stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving.
Stock markets exist for a reason, although it can be tough to remember when your eyes are glued to the tape. The whole point is that they let you raise money to build a business. That business grows. The shareholders are rewarded. Capital growth stream, dividend stream. But what happens if the market can no longer fulfill that function? I think that's actually what we're seeing right now. And it's not good. So let me explain. Until recently, you had three kinds of investors. You had large investors called institutions. You had small institutions. And you had individuals. The large institutions both traded and owned stocks. The smaller institutions tended to buy stocks and generally own them until something might have changed. As for individuals, mostly they bought and held. That's what nearly everyone in the business told you to do. Buy and hold. Never buy in homework, by the way. Now, over the years, the large institutions have practically traded themselves into oblivion, racking up big fees that produce suboptimal returns for their clients. Hedge funds meant to perform well in good and bad times have been serious underperformers, at least on average. Don't take it from me. Warren Buffett holds these truths to be self-evident, and he's written about it extensively in his annual letters. The smaller institutions, they've tended over the last 20 years uh, to see a lot of mini crashes, real crashes, scandals. They've adopted a different mantra. It's that the stock market's become too dangerous an asset class. So why don't we err on the side of bonds? Why not? Bonds are safer. People who own them have actually made a kill you know. Perhaps the biggest shift has been with individual investors, though. These days, the conventional wisdom no longer tells you to buy and hold stocks. Instead, you're told it's too hard, so you should put your money in index funds. That's the new gospel, and when I say gospel, I mean it. Do not get me wrong. I love index funds. If I see on Twitter tonight that I blasted index funds, I'm going to come after you with everything I have. I think a nice, low-cost index fund that mirrors the S&P 500 is a perfect place for your retirement money. But if you have the time and the inclination to do the homework, I think you're also capable of picking good stocks. I don't think you're too dumb to do that like most people do. Still, think about the situation we find ourselves in right now. Large institutions are tripping over their own feet. Small institutions are fleeing from the stock market into the bond market. Individual investors have little interest in individual stocks. So how the heck are companies supposed to come public in this environment? Where's the cash going to come from? 60% of this money in this market is now indexed. That's too much of a good thing. Index funds can't participate in IPOs. I'm going to repeat, they cannot participate in IPOs. They only buy what's already in there, right? It's what's in the index. These are passively managed. That's the whole point. If you invest in an S&P 500 index fund, you know you can't buy Uber or Lyft or a Peloton Smile Direct. You can't. They're not in the index. Throw in the fact that capital keeps migrating from stocks into bonds, you got a real problem here. Now, this situation would be fine if we only had a few IPOs, right? Every once in a while, we had some big ones. But lately, we've had deal after deal after deal, and they're not done. Many of these are big money losers, both to the company's insiders and their new shareholders, and of course, on the bottom line. So you got to wonder, if everybody's putting their money in index funds or bonds, who the heck is left to pick up the slack, pun intended? Without institutions and individual investors picking actual stocks, buying the chewies, okay, it's become much harder for companies to raise capital. Maybe Charles Schwab's latest move to give clients commission-free trading will save the stock-picking business? I don't know. Maybe there will be enough good IPO winners like a Zoom video, Pinterest, well, and yes, Beyond Meat, even though it shouldn't be, to save the day. But honestly, here's what I think's happened. I think we're approaching a day of reckoning here where private companies better start recognizing that they may be better off staying private unless they are desperate. If investment bankers keep pumping out junk, we really dodged a bullet, by the way, with that Uber Desperado WeWork IPO. Sooner or later, there'll be no place left to put it. Judging by the performance of these recent deals, it feels like we're almost there. 
Stay with Kramer. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. After another terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day, where sellers, of course, panicked in response to some tepid data. Yesterday was the ugly PMI. Today was the ADP subpar payroll report. And, of course, in just general overall gloom. How do you protect yourself? Now, I've been warning you to raise cash in anticipation of a pullback. So now that the market is being hammered, what should you be doing as it retreats? Here's an idea. When we started rolling over yesterday, What was the best performer in the market? Why, it was McCormick, the world's leading maker of spices and seasonings, with a stock that managed to rally more than 10 bucks or 6.8%, even on a hideous day. Now, some of that's because the company reported an okay quarter and the stock had pulled back going into the report. But there's another component here that we need to talk about. McCormick McCormick didn't rally in spite of yesterday's sell-off. It rallied because of yesterday's sell-off. This is exactly the kind of name that money managers love to pile into when they're worried about an economic slowdown. In other words, McCormick may be the perfect stock for this moment. And thanks to today's market-wide meltdown, you can actually buy this thing a little bit lower than it was yesterday, two bucks lower. So what exactly happened with the thing yesterday? And why do I think it may be time to big, big in the stock as it goes down? Okay, McCormick is an uber longtime Kramer favorite. You know that. They dominate the spice aisle at your local, local supermarket, and they've got a big food service business where they supply the same spices and seasonings to restaurants. Plus, in 2017, in a just moment of brilliance, they bought a bunch of condiment brands from Reckitt Benkeiser, like French's Mustard, Frank's Red Hot, which is, by the way, beloved by millennials, who I understand seem to put it on a lot of different things. Hey, the president, I think, mentioned it earlier today in a tweet. Hey, even if it's bad out there, people have to eat, right? And take it from uh, my days when I lived in my Fort Fairmont. One of the few ways to make the same cheap, awful food taste different is that spice. Thanks in part to the mustard and hot sauce trans. You know, I always used to buy, you know, you go buy the chicken livers, you know, like in the the little thing. They're the cheapest thing in the supermarket. And you pour stuff one, it tastes different every night. Thanks in part to that mustard and hot sauce transaction, McCormick's been a terrific long-term outperformer. Stock's up 144% over the past five years, roughly triple the gain in the S&P 500 over that same period. I've recommended it again and again and again as the ultimate play on the stay-at-home economy, and I love that record Ben Keyser deal, even though the analysts hated it. In fact, in last Friday's game plan, I told you to buy McCormick ahead of the quarter, which turned out to be a pretty prescient call. What made me so confident going into the earnings report? Simple. 
The stock had backslid substantially over the previous six weeks, and that meant the expectations would be easy to beat. That's what you're looking for. You're looking for a stock that's down big and then can bounce. See, J.P. Morgan downgraded McCormick from hold to sell in late August, arguing that the stock was fully valued. Even though McCormick is best of breed, the analysts believed that it had run out of upside. Which brings us to yesterday morning, when the company reported an OK quarter that could easily be described as, frankly, mixed. All right, it certainly wasn't great. While McCormick delivered a $0.17 earnings beat off a $1.29 basis, their sales came in a little weaker than expected, up 1% year-over-year. On top of that, management lowered their full-year sales forecast, even as they raised their full-year earnings forecast. Now, initially, Wall Street's reaction was predictably lukewarm. In fact, J.P. Morgan who downgraded McCormick in August, well, he was out there right in the shoots just saying, hey, the stock deserves to be off a bit today, before admitting that, quote, the shares could go either way. But this is why you have to wait to hear the conference call before you make any decisions during an earnings season. And on that call, management painted a much more bullish picture than the headlines. Now, not only did CEO Lawrence Kurzius, who's really one of my favorites, say everything you wanted to hear from a chief executive on a day when the averages were tumbling based on worries about a slowing economy. First, he explained the breadth and reach of our portfolio across segment, geographies, channels, customers, and product offerings. Well, let's just say, wow, balanced portfolio to drive consistency and our performance in a volatile environment. End quote. Translation. McCormick is a classic consumer staple that can keep hitting their forecast even if the economy falls off a cliff. Now, even though the sales came in weaker than expected, the margins were much better than expected, hence the terrific earnings per share. How they do it? Curses points to, and I quote, cost savings led by our comprehensive continuous improvement program, CCI, and favorable product mix, end quote. In other words, execution, execution, and execution. The soft spot here was food service division, but that was more than offset by strength in McCormick's consumer business, especially, of course, here in the United States. Curtis just calls out a healthy grilling season. Well, that's, you know, it was hot this summer, right? Which, which drove significant growth in grill mates, Stubbs barbecue sauce. I like that, by the way. And Frank's hot sauce. And, yes, French's mustard. Now, we had a debate about French's mustard during the show when we were making the, making the thing. And I've got to tell you, a lot of people felt that the only thing that they really liked about it was Clue. Where, you know, I mean, in the, is it Mr. Mustard? Colonel Mustard in the library with the knife. I think it's better than that. I put it on my soft pretzels when I'm in the box at the Eagles game. Anyway, once again, that record vintage deal is, is paying off. Uh, and I can't stress that enough. Stubbs is growing faster in the broader barbecue category. Frank's hot sauce saw major distribution gains and record high uh, household penetration. And believe me, it's not just because of this, okay? Although this is very personal. Uh, they also have frozen chicken wings, seasonings, blends, dry recipe mixes, candlesticks. Just kidding. Ha. Across the whole French's portfolio, McCormick's sold double-digit consumption growth. I regard it as incredible. As for French's mustard, Billy in... We're all going to die. Uh, it's taking market share thanks to what Curzius describes as a focused marketing support. What does that mean? The company's trying to get more bang for its buck for each dollar they spend on advertising. So when French has created the aptly named French's National Mustard Day, although, by the way, the origin is hotly contested by the National Mustard Day Museum, they were getting the social media going. Kershaw says the campaign earned 15 times more media value than our actual investment and created quite a buzz around mustard-flavored ice cream. Mmm, bad, with over 1 billion impressions. 
Then he continues, quote, we're, mar- we're making brand marketing investments like this across our entire portfolio, and their effectiveness was particularly evident in our third quarter consumption and sales growth. In short, McCormick understands how to advertise his products in the new media environment. And by the way, just so you know, this, this Franks has this kind of hold on media. You should look at what they say about this stuff. I mean, people just love to talk about it. Millennials, they're nuts. Anyway, finally, in his summation, Curtis lists some of the secular trends that are powering the story. Listen to this, quote, we're aligned with the consumer's continued interest in bolder flavors, demand for convenience, and focus on fresh, natural ingredients. You ever look at the number of ingredients in, in mustard? There's like none. Yeah, mustard. Anyway, uh, as well as emerging purchase drivers such as greater transparency around the sourcing and quality of food. I've said this before. I'm going to say it again. Millennials want convenience. They'll pay up for natural goods and transparency about where their food comes from. Me, like I said, this is so great on Philly soft pretzels. And I'm going to have two of them this weekend when the Eagles play the Jets. And it might be the most exciting thing that happens that afternoon. Now, a good conference call can have a lot of impact. The stock opened yesterday morning up 1.6%. It finished up 6.8%, in part because management told such a good story in the conference call. But while the call was good, it wasn't rally $10 in a single day good. So what else allows McCormick to explode higher? Simple. When the ISM purchasing manager's reading came out at 10 a.m., the averages plummeted as investors freaked out about a possible recession. But McCormick is exactly the kind of defensive safety stock that people love to buy when the economy goes into slowdown mode. Suddenly, that big earnings beat mattered a heck of a lot more than the small revenue miss. While the quarter had some hair on it, beats me, that was good. It was good enough for McCormick to remain attractive as a safety stock. Don't get me wrong. This thing is less enticing than it was, of course, just two, two or three years ago. It sells now at 27 times earnings. Yields puny, just 1.4%. Stocks run so much. But the bottom line, in an incredibly unpredictable market, a straightforward consumer staple play like McCormick is just what the doctor ordered. As long as the market remains choppy, I think this is the kind of stock that you buy on the way down Hey, it beats uh, buying candlesticks, right? And where is the candlestick from, uh, Colonel Mustard? Hmm, the library. And I like it even more after today's pullback. Let's go to Joe in New York. Joe! Hello, Jim. Thank you for answering my call. I was wondering, I bought Chewy, C-H-W-Y. Yeah, a week ago, and it's dropping like a rock. I thought I was getting the. I thought I was getting a good price. I was wondering if I should add more, or or sell it, or just hold it. And what is your opinion? Well, here's the problem with Chewy. Okay, it doesn't make any money, and the market switched. And what happened is, once the market became possessed with with what I call consistent earnings, what happened is nobody wanted to buy. Chewy, chewy cocoa puff. But you still see a lot of UPS men taking it. So, well, let's just say the man's man is giving me a paper towel. In an often brutal market, you need a straightforward consumer staple play. And you know what I think rocks? I think McCormick rocks. All right, there's much more man money ahead, including my exclusive one of the nation's biggest payroll players. What can paychecks tell us about Friday's job report? I'll ask the CEO. Then Charles Schwab helped usher in the golden age of low-cost online trading. Could it now kill off the model it helped build? I'm focusing on the brokerage wars. And all your calls rapid fire tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. Stay with camera.
right, now that the recessionistas have made a, let's say, timely comeback, Friday's big non-farm payroll report is more important than ever. Unfortunately, today we got some mixed signals in the employment front. Everybody was focused on ADP's payroll report, a suboptimal number from the nation's largest payroll processor. But you know what? This morning, we also got results from Paychecks, the second largest payroll processor with a substantial human resources outsourcing division. And we learned about some healthy business formation among small, medium-sized enterprises. Paychecks delivered a solid top and bottom line beat. Even better, management raised their full-year forecast slightly. That's how the stock was able to rally 1.8% in a hideous tape. Oh, by the way, it's got a bountiful 3% yield. So what do these numbers mean? Let's check in with Marty Musi. He's the president and CEO of Paychex. Get a better sense of the quarter and his company's prospects. Mr. Musi, welcome back to Mad Money. Thanks, Jim. Good to be here. Okay, well, I'm going to just say, because you know I think that most of the analysts who cover you who have been negative have been quite wrong. I, I'm just going to quote from a Wedbush, good firm, but their headline is, Results Better Than Feared. Uh, Marty, uh, the results were good. Uh, who was fearing these results, given the fact that you've been putting up incredible numbers for years now? Yeah, I don't know, Jim. We had a solid first quarter, and, and it really carried through from last year. You know, 15% revenue growth, part of that from our Oasis acquisition. But we had solid revenue growth, 9% operating income growth, and uh, really felt good, particularly about our mid-market sales and our repositioning of the company for technology and HR focus. So we felt great about it. Now, one of the things that uh, we have well, not just to our network, but everybody, the papers, whatever, have been convinced that we're having a serious slowdown and that there's going to be big layoffs and a recession. Marty, I'm looking at your transcript, and you talk about job growth actually ticking up a bit. What's wrong with the end-of-the-world picture? (laughs) Well, yeah, in September, you know, we released our uh, small business index. These are businesses under 50 employees, and it actually ticked up for the first time in a few years. So we saw, you know, one month doesn't make a trend, but we certainly saw job growth pick up a bit. It's down 1% from last year, the job growth level for small businesses, but that's because it's a tight market, and it's tight for small businesses to hire and retain folks. But right now... Uh, you know, we're feeling pretty good on the business sentiment. Yeah, when I read your transcript, I said to myself, oh, boy, I got to temper the negativity because you represent too many companies. Further, you did a survey of your clients about the trade problems with China. What did that say? Well, about 25% of our clients are in, feel like they'll be impacted by trade and tariffs. But three-quarters of the clients, you know, these are businesses pretty much under 50 employees, are pretty regional. You know, they're local businesses. They're doctor's office, restaurants, contractors. They're not impacted by the tariffs. Those That quarter that is, you know, will have a little bit tougher time leveraging, changing supplier routes and uh, supplier chains and so forth. But... Uh, three quarters of them will not be affected based on our surveys. And I, I put I melded the first and I asked with the second, which tells me that there's still good hiring if they can find people despite the trade war. There really is, Jim. You know, we felt the other thing that picked up on our small business index was the wage rate. The wage rate went up to two point eight percent. We've seen it around two and a half to two six. That went up. The hours worked went up. So our feeling is that while businesses are a little bit concerned overall about the economy, the demand for their products is still there and they're out trying to hire. The biggest challenge is hiring people to fill the demand that they have. That's good news. Well, that's quite different from the biggest challenge being they had to fire a lot of people. 401ks, I know you've got a huge business in that now. Uh, You probably get a pretty good look about from human resource people or people enthusiastic about investing here. 
They really are. The retirement business is, is continuing to be very strong for us. And, you know, we've introduced uh, online on the mobile app. You can enroll as a participant from the client. Their employee can enroll in four clicks on our mobile app. That has double-digit increases in participation rate in the client's 401ks. That's good news for the clients because they're getting more people into their 401ks, good for retention, and it's good for us from a client retention standpoint. So this has really helped us a lot. Yeah, I'm going to encourage small business people who are listening, you should get this service because there, it is very difficult and cumbersome for a lot of employees to even go to the 401k, and this makes it easy, as does the wearable watch idea, which I imagine yeah. the uh, that the clients must be excited about. They really are. You know, this move to wearables that we've introduced now takes a lot of the power of our mobility app and our online apps uh, onto the wearables. You can punch in and punch out as a time clock. It has geofencing, meaning you can punch in from a different area the client can set up. There's a lot of remote workers. Uh, it has You can do a number of things on your smartwatch, and that's going to continue to grow. So we really feel like we've positioned paychecks from the service business that it has been for a long time to be a technology and HR-focused business, and that's all good for us and our employees moving forward and certainly for our clients. Last question. Uh, since everyone thinks there's going to be a recession, except for maybe you and me and the millions of people who are doing the hiring in this country, the difference between your company now and 10 years ago. Yeah, big change, very much technology. You know, we've always been about service, but service has changed. It's very much about the clients and their employees having the opportunity to do things themselves when and where they want to do it, do it on a mobile app, which we're very happy with a five-star mobile app under Paychex Flex, and that you can do things now on wearables. So it is service, but it is an HR technology-focused company, very different than where we were 10 years ago, and very much positions to support our clients and the value we bring them. All right, but of course, very the same in terms of trying to return capital to shareholders with a great dividend. Marty Musi, Paychex President and CEO, great to see you, sir. Thanks, Jim. Yep. It's been 50 points since we've been behind this. We're not changing. Still good. Mad Money's back after the break. It is time. It's up for the night. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Skate daddy. Time for the lightning round. I'm starting with Rodney in California. Rodney. Hey, Kramer. Booyah. Booyah, Rodney. What's Listen, up? The reason I'm calling, well, the reason I'm calling today is we, we can both agree that streaming TV is growing exponentially, right? Absolutely. Better agree? Okay, so the stock that I'm calling in about is somewhere at the Westminster Dog Show hanging out, but it'll turn out best in class at the end of the day. The trade desk. Uh, look, trade desk is precisely the kind of stock that as it goes down, you can pick at slowly. It reminds me a lot about Shopify. Same deal. But don't be aggressive because you'll end up being burned. Let's go to Joe in New York. Joe. Hi. Hi. How are you, Kramer? I'm good, Joe. How about you? I'm good. I inherited uh, BioLife Solutions, BLFS, from my father. And it has recently taken a pretty significant hit. I was wondering what life. about it. Me, no, no BioLife. I got to do some work on BioLife. What is BioLife? Anybody? I mean, I know Edo Smith more than I know BioLife. Let me go to work on that. It's a guy I picked up just today, if you want to know. Let's go to Cindy in Georgia. Cindy. Hi. Cindy, how are you? 
I'm fine, thank you. I'm a beekeeper here in Georgia. I'd love really? to invite you down to go in a hive sometime and get some local honey. Oh, my. Do you know how hard it is? I mean, I, I got to get a hive this year. I mean, I am so... The bees weren't on my flight path, so I had so many problems with my flowers. I know that's a strain. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. I'm sorry. What's that? What's that? <laughs> well, I was calling you about CRISPR stocks, specifically Sage Therapeutics, and wanted to know your opinion Jonas, on buying stuff. John. Jeff Jonas, Dr. Jo- I am a believer in Jeff Jonas. This is the kind of stock that's going to keep going down because the market doesn't favor growth, and then it's going to bottom. You're going to say, why didn't I buy a little Sage Therapeutics? Let's go to Armand in Texas. Armand. Hey, Jim. Got a question for you from Iron Mountain. Uh, a, is it a good you know, Iron Mountain has always had a high yield. People just think it doesn't have the growth. I like the company. Record storage, 7% yield. I think it's good. I like the yield. By the way, I like Ventas, too. I haven't talked about that enough. And that's a Deb Cafaro. Hey, Deb's doing a great job. She's doing a great job. Let's go to um, Henry in Maryland. Henry. Hey, Jim. How are you doing today? I'm having a good day, frankly. How about you? I'm doing all right, too. Uh, the company I want to talk about is STI. It's gotten its act together. It had a little heart. This is death care. You know, it's not a happy subject, but it is a happy stuff. Well, it's a good stuff. And that, ladies and gentlemen, good. Uh, round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Riddle me this. Why the heck would you give something away for free if you could charge real money for it instead? I know a lot of people were asking themselves that very question yesterday when Charles Schwab, the big online brokerage house, announced they were getting rid of commissions on certain kinds of trades, namely stocks, options, and ETFs. Rather than making money from commissions, they'll make money from the net interest income from clients' bountiful cash balances, margin lending, and the selling of order flow. Now, judging by the way the brokers reacted, you think this news came out of completely nowhere. Schwab plunged 10%. Competitors didn't did even worse. E-Trade plumbing 16%. T-Day Ameritrade. T-Day Ameritrade getting beheaded down more than 25%. You can understand why investors decide to sell first and ask questions later. To be fair, Schwab upended the whole industry, forcing everyone else to react. After the close last night, TD Ameritrade decided that they, too, would offer commissions free trading and then commission free trading. And then E-Trade did the same thing after the close today. Suddenly, these companies have radically different revenue structures. I mean, all the models that Wall Street had drawn up are wrong. And it's safe to say that Wall Street isn't thrilled. All three stocks got hammered again today. So what in the heck is going on here? Swap's been charging $5 a trade. Now it's going to charge zero a trade. Well, you can't make that up in volume. Why would they do that? Simple. All these online brokerage houses are under attack from smaller, privately held upstarts that are disrupting the entire industry, like so many other industries that have been disrupted by technology. Upstarts like Robinhood. We had them when we were in California. They already offer free stock trading. Millennials love them. And when enough of your competitors start giving something away for free, well, it becomes harder and harder for you to charge. In other words, this was inevitable. Schwab saw it coming and chose to get out ahead of it, leaving E-Trade and TD Ameritrade a bit in the lurch. Uh, just look at the action. Well, all three of the online brokerage stocks got eviscerated yesterday. The whole group actually peaked about 18 months ago. After a terrific run from 2016 through spring of last year, Schwab, E-Trade, and Ameritrade crashed headfirst into a retaining wall. Sell, sell, sell. 
Even before yesterday's breakdown, Schwab stock had fallen 30% from its highs in 2018. E-Trade was off 34%, Ameritrade down 26%. Why? Because they're being disrupted. That's what it looks like to be disrupted. Now think about Amazon and retail for heaven's sake. These smaller millennial-focused online brokerages have been eating them alive. Robinhood's the most recognizable. Launched six years ago, offering free trading in stocks, ETS, options, cryptocurrencies. And it's been taking market share ever since. As of last year, they have six million accounts. You've also got Acorns, that's a CNBC partner that specializes in micro-investing. Not to mention M1 Finance, which offers free trading and specialized in automated investment. But it's not just these small venture capital-backed firms that are things, shaking things up. Even some major players like J.P. Morgan have begun to dabble in commission-free trading. Put it all together, and it's clear the writing was on the wall. And that's why Schwab did what it had to do. As CFO Peter Crawford explained, and I quote, we're seeing new firms trying to enter our market using zero or low equity commissions as a lever. We're not feeling competitive pressure from these firms yet. But we don't want to fall into the trap that a myriad of other firms in a variety of industries have fallen into and wait too long to respond to new entrants. It has seemed inevitable that commissions would head towards zero. So why wait? End quote. Sure makes sense to me. Smart guy. What does it mean in terms of the numbers? Schwab's sacrificing 90 to 100 million in quarterly revenues, only 3 to 4% of the total, total because commissions per revenue trade have been falling for years. Yet the stock was down 10% yesterday. Now, after taking the day to think things over, TD Ameritrade came out after the close, decided they're going to get rid of the commissions too. You trade, I mentioned, followed in footsteps 24 hours later. It's very difficult to keep charging money for something that your competitors are giving away for free. If all of this is starting to sound familiar to you, that's because we've heard the story before in a host of different industries. Online brokerage space is just the latest business to be disrupted, mostly by unprofitable venture capital-backed competitors. If your investors only care about revenue growth, not earnings, it's really easy to undercut your rivals. Most recently, for instance, we've seen this in the online food delivery space. For years, Grubhub dominated the industry with very little in the way of meaningful competition. The stock was an incredible performer, but then all these money-losing competitors started expanding aggressively from the Uber Eats and Postmates DoorDash. Wow! Now Grubhub needs to fight tooth and nail for every basis point of market share, and their stock's been crushed. How about Align Technology? Maker of Invisalign braces, the transparent removal ones that people absolutely love. Align's patents expired. Now they're facing a competition from the, from the uh, Small Threat Club. Another unprofitable venture cap back company that's trying to disrupt that industry. Now, Smile Direct has been a completely awful performer since it came public a few weeks ago, but that's not much solace to align shareholders. Uber and Lyft did the same thing to the taxi industry. As long as these leaner, meaner disruptors can keep securing new funding, they can wreck the margins of their competitors. Now, we've had so many of these money-losing IPOs that the market's gotten sick of them. But that's really neither here nor there, is it? The point is that there's an established pattern here. That's what Schwab was reacting to. In other words, while the market may have been surprised by this news, anyone who was paying close attention to the industry probably should have known it was coming. I think it's too risky necessarily to start bottom fishing in these stocks. Not in this hostile market. This kind of disruption often results in prolonged periods of weakness for the incumbents. That said, if you put a gun to my head, I would say, will you please take the gun away from my head? But I would look at Schwab. Because only 6% is commish, right? 6% of the total rev. So it's not really like sacrificing much. Remember that CFO said it was more like the 3 to 4% hit. That's very different from E-Trade. Commissions make up 16% of the total. Say nothing, Ameritrade, 24%. No wonder Ameritrade got hit hardest. Plus, you got to figure Schwab is more prepared for this than their competitors. They are the ones who planned it. And they also have the most incredible asset-gathering machine I have ever seen in my career. Bottom line, thanks to smaller, privately held players like 
Robin Hood, which can lose scads of money to grow fast. Charles Schwab, TD Ameritrade, and E-Trade have been forced to offer commission-free trading. But this is not some one-off, out-of-nowhere event. Schwab made the move because they were being disrupted. And while this should give them more breathing room, I don't think it changes the core dynamic here. At the end of the day, you don't want exposure to an industry that's being disrupted. Now, Schwab is definitely positioned better than the other guys, but it might turn out to be just the best house in a very bad neighborhood. Stick with Craig. You don't need me to tell you how awful it is. But you know what? It goes down, high-quality stocks get cheaper, and you do a little nibbling. Not all at once, because we don't know when it's going to bottom. But i got to tell you, to sell now, you better have something to buy when you do it. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mid Money. I am Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.